Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Paul Lawrence. I met Paul when we were both going through the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program earlier this year. He's a veteran helping other veterans, or an advocate that advises nonprofits and businesses about veterans' issues. As a former senior leader at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, he has a unique perspective on the challenges organizations face working with and for veterans, and he uses that insight to help organizations serve veterans successfully, efficiently, and cost-effectively. So, hi, Paul. Thank you so much for being here with me. Hey, it's great to be back with you, Kelly. And I was going to say, I was thinking as I was reading the intro, you're a veteran for real, but we're both veterans of the LinkedIn program. So we're we're officially survivors of that effort. Um, I provided a very high-level overview, but can you share a little bit more detail about your background and professional experience for listeners? Sure. You sort of began at the end, which is the last couple, three years when I was at the Department of Veterans Affairs. So that was my one stint in government. But prior to that, most of my life was as a consultant, a management consulting consultant in and around the federal government. And then I worked in technology companies, but was always helping leaders solve problems. I like to think important problems. Um, and, and even before that, though, I, I joined the Army to fulfill my ROTC requirements. I was, in fact, an Army officer for three years. And kind of the formative years, I guess you would say, is I grew up in a military family. My father was a career Army officer, so we moved all over the world, kind of that experience. And um, I think the whole thing about being a veteran, kind of working in organizations where, you know, you'd advocate for veteran causes, whether the groups or hiring or, you know, uh, whatever. And then finally getting the chance to work at the Department of Veterans Affairs to see kind of how it all worked and to kind of deal with some of those issues that I had seen from afar that I had complained about and now got to go in and actually be in charge of really kind of rounded out the experience. And so now, as you indicated in my introduction, I work for myself. I've written a couple books, but I also work with organizations now that I've kind of seen the secret sauce. How does it really work? How can you actually help veterans? And even with veterans themselves, when they have questions about some of their benefits and some of the things that, you know, they've earned as a result of their service. So I try to make this kind of a, you know, a smoother and more objective experience, objective experience, quite frankly, getting sort of, you know, informed information and resources so veterans can figure out what they need as they mm -hmm. pursue their careers. Now, quick follow-up before we move into sort of the heart of the conversation. You said you traveled around a lot. Is there one place that when you look back, you think like, okay, living there was a real opportunity? Is there any one place that stands out? 
Well, so there's there's kind of a couple things. I was actually born in Japan, but I didn't stay there very long, just till like my first year. And I always wanted to get a business trip to go back to Japan, and I never could do that. So that was a little bit of frustration. Lived on a military base in Germany, and that was really interesting. But the formative years, when I was in high school, my father actually was stationed at NATO in Brussels, Belgium. Wow. That was really interesting. And it's scary to think back at some of the things you could do way back in the day, right? So you would say, what's the drinking age in Brussels? And the answer was five feet, which is how old you had to be to reach the bar because there really wasn't one. So, you know, there's a lot of freedoms and access now that I could never imagine, you know, giving people of that generation. But also it was formative in my class of, you know, was the Rumsfeld family. So Donald Rumsfeld, when he was just ambassador to NATO, spoke at our graduation. And so you had this sort of interesting moment where you were just a high school student, but actually in a very important part of the world at that period of time. Well, and, and I think, you know, certainly everything that you got to see, both from being a child in a military family to then going through ROTC and, and entering your own service and serving veterans afterwards, all of it kind of points to, um, the American dream. And what people may not know, depending on how closely they followed the LinkedIn accelerator, yes, we were all picked as individuals to go into the program, but we had to propose a project in as part of the uh, approval and application process. And you called yours the American Dream Campaign. So what was your original project-based vision for the campaign in terms of what you actually proposed to LinkedIn? Sure. It was very similar except for the format. So I had proposed using LinkedIn Live to do real live conversations. But of course, as you know, they drove us to videos so we could have the video experience. So that was the really only change. But I really kind of focused on the American dream because it was something that kind of came into focus when I was at VA about, well, why does the VA exist and what are we trying to do, especially around the benefits? So you could imagine if you're a veteran and you injured or have conditions, there's healthcare services, but there's also a wide range of benefits. And the more I looked and studied them, the more I realized they were, these were supposed to help veterans accelerate their pursuit of getting an education, that's the GI Bill, purchasing a home, it's called the home loan guarantee. And even if they're injured, supplementing their income through what's called disability compensation. So I realized these things work together to help you get a job, live in a strong community and the like. But because a lot of accessing them is hard and complicated for a variety of reasons, I thought that explaining this, providing providing this information, and then also pointing out what other resources are available, not just from governments, those states provide a lot, but also from nonprofits and from companies who want to help veterans. So my vision was articulating this information, explaining it, the resources, and then enlisting others who were either experts or what they were doing would actually you know, explain their own story. So at the end, veterans could see the content I was posting and say, that's really good. I want to do that. And it's so specific that I can figure out exactly how to do it. Or my buddy might be interested in this and I can flip this content to okay. him or her. So that was the vision, an explanation, an educational sort of thing, and very practically focused that it would be actionable. Well, and when it comes to that actionability, this is sort of where we had the the intersection, I guess you could say, of our two projects, because I focused on supplier diversity, which includes certified veteran-owned businesses. And from your perspective, you listed out all those categories of information. 
certainly nonprofits and companies are both part of sort of the corporate supply-based world. And I know the vast majority of the content you created for the Accelerator was interview-based. What are a few of the most interesting things you learned from the different people that you interviewed during the 10 weeks? Well, there were some really neat commonalities. One of them, by and large, they were almost all veterans or military spouses. So you didn't get into this. If you, you, a lot of reasons, but that was very common. And what they were really driven by was a passion to, you know, engage veterans and also help veterans. So most of them did things that really supported veterans. So I was sort of surprised how deep that was. And it was really interesting to see some of the, the younger veterans figure out if I form a company or I do something almost immediately before I've made any real money, I want to make sure I am giving back. So it wasn't like I got really rich, formed a foundation and made sure that I gave to veterans. It was even in my startup business, mm -hmm. I will give a percentage of every dollar to veterans causes. And I just thought that was really interesting to see kind of play its way out. The other thing was how creative this group was, right? It was very traditional things. It was in people inventing new things, a new approach to PTSD. And it was folks even, you know, challenging. Hey, I've seen how it works. I think there's a better way and it should be better. So it was really a wide range. I thought of these were very informational in nature. It really opened my eyes and Quite frankly, has resulted in a lot of interesting conversations, not unlike, you know, meeting you about people who are doing different things and suddenly you realize, wow, there's really something for veterans yeah. in that. I wonder if I can explain it so others can see what the opportunities might be. Well, it's interesting because I've I've done a lot in the veteran community interviewing people sort of in different roles. And it never surprises me in the slightest to find out that veterans make good entrepreneurs because they're resourceful and tough and creative and, you know, can put it a really long day and are used to having to sort of work their way around what would seem like an obvious path. But I'm really interested in this dynamic that you observed where right from the startup phase, it's built into the ethos of an organization to give back. Did you get a sense of what was driving that in, in the people that clearly had it as part of their value system? Um, yeah, I, I, I actually had the same kind of question and wondered yeah. about it myself when I would see it. And basically they were like, you know, what's the point of, you know, my business, if not to help other veterans, it was really this thing, which is the business is interesting and I like it and I'm passionate about it, but I really want to generate money to help other veterans. In fact, I was talking to a veteran yesterday about his, his, his small business. He's running off to the side while he works his daily consulting job. And he goes, well, I'm really trying to do good. It's not so much that you're trying to get wealthy. And I ride him. I said, no, 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 we want you to get wealthy because then you'll have all these resources <laughs> to help other veterans. So they were really driven by that. And I think they just wanted to, you know, maybe like they say, reflect back and say, one day, what will this all have been worth? Yeah, I got made a lot of money. What did you do with the money? I was able to help and kind of an impact. And I really think that was came through in these veterans. And I can see where it would help in a number of different ways. I mean, for one thing, all kinds of consumers 
really do, I think, a much better job looking at the companies that they buy from and asking themselves, okay, am I buying local? Am I buying sustainable? Am I buying diverse? You know, what do I know about the activities of this company or the leader of this company that I'm buying from? So I think that there's a market appeal there. But I mean, I'll speak from my own experience. I don't know if if yours is the same. Nobody becomes an entrepreneur because it's easier, right? It's hard and tiring and frustrating. And as much as the successes are kind of yours to hold up alone, man, looking at the in the mirror at the end of a tough day, you feel alone. And I have to think that having sort of a values-based mission statement or drive behind the entrepreneurial effort must help. Um, does that does that align with with your kind of out on your own experience? Um, yes, and it's it's interesting because a lot of the veterans I spoke to were getting help from other veterans, whether it was older, more experienced ones. Um, you know, whether it was organizations that had entrepreneur boot camps and the like. So I don't know that I saw a whole lot of being alone. You know, I, uh, most of them now, maybe the unsuccessful ones did that, but the ones I saw were pretty successful and they were definitely drawing on others and trying to figure out who, who could help them. So there were some, there are some good role models to either follow or at least understand and not, and not use, but most of them had access to assistance. And actually Kelly, you made me laugh because I remember thinking if somebody once told me this, like when you're a sole proprietor, you're on your own, it's like, if it's to be, it's up to me, you know, (laughs) you just have this sense of like, you know, this is just going to take. And I think there's a lot of that just confidence in self that yeah. veterans have about what they can do if they set their mind to it. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember I've had conversations with people over the years. I mean, I've been on my own for, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something like that. And so every once in a while, more so over the last few years than in my earliest years, I don't think anybody wanted my advice then. But they would say, like, okay, can I can I get some advice? And I typically start by trying to get people talking and I'll ask them, like, okay, well, why have you decided to go out on your own? And a few people have said to me, Well, I'd like a better work-life balance and I want to spend more time with my family. <laughs> and I always have the urge to mute myself, laugh off to the side, and come back and say, you know, you might just want to keep the nine to five. Like that, yeah. that might be the better thing to do. Um now you announced because we had to do this for ten weeks starting in January. So officially March eighteenth. Oh my gosh! At five p.m. Eastern time, we were done and we graduated from the program a couple of weeks ago. But you have since announced that you're keeping your project going. You're keeping the content campaign running. What has inspired you to continue with the interviews and the content and sort of the information and resource work that you've been doing? And what's next? So sure. Well, two things inspired me. Thing one was when I talked to guests, almost all of them referred to me more people. Said, oh, if you're interested in this, you know who is also doing something similar. And so I realized there is a lot more people to talk to. And they're doing different things. It wasn't though it was going to be the same conversation okay. with the same people. So I realized, wow, 10 weeks. And I, I actually did 11 weeks, Kelly, because I wasn't good at keeping score. Um, <laughs> did you yeah. get extra credit though? Like a star uh, sticker or something? Yeah, no, no, no. I, uh, <laughs> but but I got smarter along the way. And we'll just talk about the 11th week at the end here. But the, the other sort of thing was the response. 
And so, you know, I think a lot of people go to social media, social media to get views or likes or whatever. So that I didn't think was anything particularly unusual that I experienced, but it was the deepness of the engagement about people writing me messages about sharing their experiences, you know, some positive, some negatives, pointing out areas where, you know, someone should be talking more about these things. So it was good suggestions and the like. So I thought, well, you know, this has really helped me sharpen my focus on the content I want to create and how I want to help other veterans. It's clear that the videos really enable a better engagement. It's just a richer conversation, yeah. not dissimilar to a podcast, you know, where people can react as opposed to seeing the written word. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to continue this and, you know, it's, it won't be as, I think I did video. We think we did like five videos a week or whatever it was. These will be a couple, one or two a week yeah. trying to hone on stuff. But yeah, it's been basically the content as well as the engagement and people saying, this is very, other veterans writing and saying, this is very helpful. I'm, I did not know, you know, this information is just overwhelming until somebody can explain it to us. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's funny, we didn't actually cover this, I don't think in the intro, but part of what contributed to the power of some of your videos, and this is how I originally found you, is that you're based in Washington, D.C., and so you can go be in and around these amazing recognizable monuments and use them as backdrops for your videos. I mean, we, we live in a scrolling culture, right? And as people yeah. are, you know, spin, 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 going through cat videos, spin, 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 right? When you see someone in front of a veteran's monument or a memorial, it really does grab your attention. So I'm glad to hear that for you, I like that perspective on depth of conversation versus reach. It's so easy to focus on, oh, how many likes or how many comments. But at the end of the day, it really is the depth of the connections that we're able to make through our content more than it is straight numbers. Yeah, and especially true. And maybe this is true for your audience as well. I mean, you know, it isn't a large group. Well, it is a large group, but relatively speaking, it's a small group yes. that I really want to engage with, right? It's veterans, military spouses, family members. I mean, you know, not all of them are using LinkedIn, but they're probably one touch away from somebody who right. is. So I really felt like it's better, also to answer your previous question, better understanding of who my audience really is, right? And, and it's very interesting because I've gotten a lot of the, gee, this has made me think I want to go volunteer at a homeless shelter in my community. This has made me think about, I want to explain some of this to my friends or like, so it's actually kind of a domino effect okay. in a really, you know, powerful way that makes you just feel good, right? Well, it's not that hard. I learned it. You can learn it. I can explain it. You can help somebody, you know, so it's, it's, it's been, it's been also satisfying too. And you teased your 11th week. So I have to circle back and find out about that. Did you actually do a full additional week of content or did you just kind of have interviews spill over past the 18th? No, I, I did a full 11th week in part because one of the people who saw my videos said, you know, you spent a lot of time talking because we did a lot of like hire our heroes. How do you yeah. get a great job? Transition. What do you search for? And whatever he said, but no one really talks about what happens when a veteran gets the job now? What do they do to really, you know, uh, figure out the culture and then succeed? So I did an 11th week talking to three leaders of companies 
one of whom was a veteran about, okay, you hire veterans, like what do you coach them on? What do they need to succeed? And two of which were civilian leaders of companies to say, okay, how do they fit in the culture? What is it they should be doing? What is it they should be doing? So it was really designed to, now that you got the job, how do you really become a top performer? So that was so, I thought that was such a good question and a space that I haven't really seen in all the content that gets posted on LinkedIn because a lot of it's like, We'll help you with your resume. We'll help you prepare for interviews. We'll help you do whatever. And all that's really good and wonderful. But the goal isn't to get a job. The goal is to be incredibly successful at a great job. And so I thought that 11th week was particularly important. No, I I completely agree with you. And there are so many good people trying to do good work on both sides, both the veteran side as well as in nonprofits and and corporations. And we want to make sure that everybody knows that the effort that they're putting in is truly what needs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's no sense in anybody expending energy if it's not in an area where there is a need. Right. Um, and part of it is just, you know, you're new to something. Yes. You've got to learn the code. You've got to figure out what's what. You have a million questions and you don't know. It's like I regularly explain because, you know, my background traveled a lot in Western Europe, you know, and so you know, everything in Europe seemed like it was based in English and you could kind of guess a lot of the words before you figured stuff out. But sometimes I used to have these nightmare dreams and while I never have been to Greece, going to a place where the letters are just different, right? And you go, how would I even know how to do anything, right? And I think sometimes it's just overwhelming. I'm in a whole new place and I don't even have any kind of thing I can begin to figure out, you know? And so that's where I just think a lot of veterans were weighing in and helping veterans, you know, get a job and then succeed. Now, Paul, the one question that I ask everybody that comes on this podcast, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this because I, and I will tell you actually in advance of asking you the question, I hear sometimes from guests, especially in pre-interviews, that they're a little bit uncomfortable with the word hero because most mm-hmm. people don't identify personally as heroes. And most of us, I think, do look at members of the military, veterans, veteran spouses, first responders, as as being a little bit closer to the traditional definition of hero. So what I always ask everybody, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of options, you're not in procurement, so you're more than welcome to take the second, is either what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you, or what does heroism look like in a professional context? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll go with the first one because I've actually been a consumer, you know, been a customer of a lot of acquisition stuff. Okay. So this actually resonates with me a lot. In my consulting life, I was in big companies and you would have to go acquire services. Often it was, you know, getting someone to help you or having a subcontractor join your team. Then later when I went to government, you know, even though there are 25,000 employees in the Veterans Benefits Administration, you relied heavily on contractors to support the work, mm-hmm. not to outsource it, but to support it. And I realized how key acquisition was. Only now I was in a big bureaucratic government. All right. And so along the way, and I suspect I'm not the first person to tell you or your audience this, I mean, the general perception of, you know, the supply organization or the acquisition organization in a firm, no matter where it is, public or private sector, is really unhelpful. Okay. <laughs> they are the people who the people who would rather tell you why you can't do stuff. Yes. They would rather thwart you. They would rather tell you the rules. And 
you know, and it was all good and wonderful. In fact, when I was at in government, it was actually the procurement people actually enjoyed sort of, you know, implicitly threatening people. Well, if you talk to these people, you could get in trouble when in fact I knew the rules. That was absolutely not true. True. So when I saw this question and began to think about my work with you, I mean, I would I would talk about, you know, seeing, you know, an acquisition or a sourcing person as somebody who was much more a partner with the business units, understanding how to the famous get to yes, right? Mm -hmm. And and less about less about no, I'm a decision maker or I'm a gatekeeper. Actually, I'm here to help you do what you want, understanding that you know, you're a professional, you will bear the risk of bad decisions. I will not tell you how to do things illegally, but I can help you execute your vision. And it doesn't seem like that's a hero until you realize how hard the context is and how unique those individuals are. I can list on just a very small set of fingers, the number of people who I work with who qualify like that. And I have dozens of stories of the antithesis of this, of folks who would gladly stymie an organization, would gladly stymie a mission to you know, ensure that some you know, nebulous rule was dealt with. And here, I'll give you an example. When I was in government, when the pandemic happened, you know, a lot of stuff couldn't be done in person anymore. Things were switched to electronic or just ignored. So a vast set of government rules and regulations because of the pandemic were just ignored and nothing bad happened. So for example, documents were thought to be needed to be signed in person. So people said we could do electronic signatures. Nobody had really thought about the implications of that or why it was. And yet suddenly a whole bunch of things changed overnight and probably will never would never go back. So you sort of got the sense of a lot of this didn't really matter. Now, the second thing I would add on based on, you know, thinking more about veterans and also some of our work together is really understanding that supplier diversity is in fact, include veterans, veteran owned company, yes. veteran businesses, the like. And so driving the better understanding to what it means, right? I think people get confused about what the word diversity means. They end instantly think ethnicity mm -hmm. or color or something, and they don't realize it means different, which gives us more choices, right? And so for all the reasons you said, I think that it would be good to include understanding where veterans fit in the landscape around supply and acquisition. Well, I have to tell you, you're double correct because first of all, you're absolutely right. That is the reputation that procurement has. <laughs> We're working very hard to get rid of that. Uh, maybe we could start blaming it on the acquisition people and nobody will notice that that's the same as procurement. We could at least try. Um, but you're also right in that everybody needs to think more broadly about the concept of diversity, both in terms of what it means in terms of our work and also in terms of the impact that it allows us to have. So I think we're all going to aspire to be the more helpful, getting to yes, making it about you. We're, we're working hard to get towards business alignment within procurement. We are definitely still dragging the stone of, of the old ways behind us. Um, Paul, if people are interested in following you, connecting with you, or simply continuing to get to participate in your American Dream campaign content, what is the best way for them to connect? Sure. Well, I'm heavily focused in on LinkedIn, as you can imagine, based on yes. our conversation. So you can follow me or direct message me on LinkedIn. It's Paul Lawrence. Uh, unfortunately, with a name like Paul Lawrence, there's lots of us, but I'm pretty easy to find. Um, if you search veterans in my name, you should be able to find me. But I'm very much invested in LinkedIn. 
That's great. And we will definitely link directly to your profile from today's episode page. So Paul, thank you so much for joining me today to share more about your campaign. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing what you do, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.